to Interfaith Talk Radio being brought to you by Dr. Pat Worldwide on 1150 AM Alternative Talk Radio and streaming on the Internet at www.interfaithtalkradio.com. We are sharing an expanding dialogue on interfaith understanding and celebrating our shared spiritual quest. We are here with you on Martin Luther King Day, today talking about the life and legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and focusing on issues of violence and nonviolence. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor. I am Rabbi Ted Falcon uh, from Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman from Interfaith Community Church in Seattle. And I'm Pastor Don McKenzie from University Congregational United Church of Christ in Seattle. And my synagogue meets in Bellevue for worship and offices and classes in Seattle. And new offices recently. New offices. We moved yesterday, and if anybody's interested, I hate moving. (laughs) I mean, hate is a strong word, but moving... Dislike, yeah. First of all, there's packing, and there's always more than you think you have. You pack, and then you turn around, and there's more to pack. And you pack that, and you turn around, there's more to pack. And then at the end, there's always this last minute shoving everything into boxes that when you finally arrive, you can't find. So it's an adventure. Uh, I suppose it's a good time of the year to move, to start something new. So we are actually, Pastor Don and I spent the day at our new offices working on the book. The book, by the way, has capital letters. Right, total. Weight, weighted capital letters. And uh, we're hoping to get it into the publisher by the end of this month. Written by the people of the book. Amen. And I also can tell you that we have two complimentary tickets to a travel show. There's a travel show at the Exhibition Hall of Seattle Center, January 27th and 28th. And Eric, our engineer, has given me two tickets uh, to give to the third caller. At today's, was that right, Eric? If you want it to be the third caller, then yeah, absolutely. Okay, I, right. I thought you determined that. <laughs> but, um, and uh, should we give out the phone numbers so folks know what to dial? Well, or, or should we let them? Okay, you know, kind of just meditate and see if the numbers come to them. Okay, so would you give them? Okay, I'll be happy to do so. We'll give these uh, shows to the uh, these tickets to the travel show away, and uh, the number is four two five. Three seven three five five two seven. That's four two five three seven three five five two seven. Or toll free in Western Washington, eight 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 two nine eight KKNW. That's eight 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 two nine eight five five six nine. And a reminder to fill out the survey on the website, and you'll get entered into a big drawing uh, for a great trip. And they're actually going to be doing the the drawing at the travel show this year uh, to find out who the winner from our survey is. Uh, so 1150kknw.com. So call now, third caller, get those tickets. 
Go ahead, Ted. It sounds good. <laughs> I wish I was out there so I could call, but really? apparently, I guess we could stop outside and kind of use our cell phones. Oh, yeah, but the Don is called Macaulay. I guess nobody will call because they're saying third caller. <laughs> I know, I know. Who would want to be the first and the second? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. So this is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, Martin Luther King was, among other things, the youngest person ever to receive a Nobel Peace Prize. He received it when he was 35 years old. I still remember, as many of us do, the day of his assassination. April 4th, 1968. And it took until 1986 for a day to be established in his memory commemorating his life. And like many such days, often on the actual day, it becomes a vacation, which is not so bad in our culture because people need a vacation. But... It's also important for us to honor the legacy of one who spoke hard truths at a time when that speaking was very difficult and when his voice was not the popular voice. And when he, he confronted a kind of rampant racism and injustice and called it what it was and put himself out there where sometimes he was beaten and dozens of times jailed and persevered in pursuing not only the cause of justice but as well the cause of nonviolence. Uh, I would like to say that you know uh, it's so wonderful we commemorate his birthday but Dr. King I think would like us to also ask very deeply uh, what are we doing Right. Uh, to honor his legacy in terms of courage, in terms of speaking the truth, in terms of uh, social justice issues. Are we speaking our truth? Uh, let's talk about the war in Iraq. I don't want to delve, you know, go deep into it, but did we speak our truth mm -hmm. on that? Mm -hmm. Did we have the courage that uh, Dr. King had? I, I agree, Jamal. I think there's a, a two, two sides to the observance of the day. One is the danger that will limit our reflections about his work to one day or one particular season of the year. But the other is, as you say, an opportunity to ask on a regular basis, what is the meaning of his life, his work and ministry, and what are we doing to move that forward? Uh, it's a hard question, I think, for anyone in our culture of privilege, <clears throat> that is, people who are white and middle class and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, how is it for you, Jamal? Yes. You know, in fact, uh, today I was um, uh, telling some people that uh, Martin Luther King uh, is a good Muslim. And they were saying, what do you mean? And something we write about in our book, that uh, the real meaning of Muslim is one who is uh, surrendered to God. As the Quran says, you know, is one who brings a heart turned in devotion to God. So in that sense, he, he really is a good, true, authentic Muslim. And that also speaks to our interfaith work. But, uh, that, that is what it means to be a good Christian, a good Muslim, a good Jew, to be surrendered to God and really have the courage and have the ability to speak the truth and just really do what is right. My, uh, my impression, Pastor Don, is what you were asking Jamal, and I might be making this up, was whether he experienced himself any discrimination mm -hmm. 
you know, because you're not an African-American, uh -huh. but you are a dark-skinned American. Uh -huh. Tell me the question again, Brother Don. Well, how does, how uh -huh. does it... I mean, I was, I was uh, talking about uh, how difficult it is for people of privilege, and I said white people right. in our culture, to forget uh -huh. the substance of what this day uh, commemorates. Yes. And then I, what I meant to say was, how does it feel for you... Uh -huh. As a as a middle class person, but right. not a white person. Right. I, I would say even more than that. How does it feel as a Muslim today? Good. Uh, to be in America, and uh, I think Muslims now are understanding on an experiential level how it feels for African Americans, or it has felt and is being felt today, uh, to be in the same position, or as a Jew. Before and even today, as it continues, you know, we can talk about it in theory. Uh, we can use our imagination. But to have that experiential understanding, mm -hmm. so I think I as a Muslim, uh, not to that same extent probably, but I, I'm certainly beginning to understand at a heart level what it really means to be a minority, a minority that is not looked upon with, uh, that, not this, with a sense of favor or with, for, with a willingness to be integrated in the society. Looked upon with some suspicion. Yes. Because yes. certainly the Muslim community is looked upon with some suspicion Absolutely. today. The moment you say Muslim, it's almost like you're making a confession. Mm. You're going to a confession. Uh, particularly if you say it at the airport, that you're a Muslim. Right. Uh, and as you know, many Muslims or some Muslims, they even try to hide uh, the, the Muslimness or the Islamic uh, vibration about their names. Uh, Muhammad becomes more. And so on and so forth, yeah. only because it it can lead to discrimination if they're working, for example. You know, it sounds like the Jewish community, <clears throat> many of whom came to this country with European names, and changed them. Yes, yes. So that they wouldn't be as visible. And I also know friends, for example, who are very wary of uh, just mentioning Allah. At yes. airports, for example. Right. You know, very, very innocently, very lovingly, but if they mention Allah, they get scared that it arouses the alarm <laughs> that maybe this person is a terrorist. The Allah alarm. That's Allah alarm goes off, yes, yeah. and that's not a good alarm, actually, uh, for the airlines. We live in a peculiar society where often it's the majority culture that tends to determine whether discrimination is happening whether hunger is happening, whether, you know, people are hurting, rather than going to the people who are involved and saying to the African-American or saying to the Muslim or saying to the Jew, uh, uh, is it happening? You know, are you experiencing it? Because they're the only ones who actually can respond to that kind of question. My impression in Seattle is that there is a, a great separation mm -hmm. in the communities. And I know moving here from Los Angeles, it was somewhat, somewhat of a shock to find that. And the very first organization that we became involved in in Los Angeles was the African American Jewish Coalition for Justice that was starting just as we got here. Mm -hmm. Uh, my wife, Ruth Newald Falcon, became a board member a couple years after that began. And we were active, and one of the things that was wonderful about that was that there was a context for a cultural mix. So that people could 
meet together and talk together and play together and get to know each other on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. But without such specific, focused programs, it's difficult to do. We are Interfaith Talk Radio, and we are talking about violence and nonviolence today and marking in whatever ways we can the energies of Martin Luther King Day. We welcome your calls. We'll be back after a few announcements from our sponsors. And we still have that pair of tickets for the travel show going on January 27th through the 28th at the Exhibition Hall in Seattle Center. So give a call now. We're looking for caller number 3-425-373-5527 or toll-free in Western Washington, 888-298-KKNW. Church of Christ wants you to know about the God is Still Speaking campaign, a national effort to let everyone know that this denomination welcomes everyone, no matter what, to the worship of God and the service of the church. We believe that God has much, much more to tell us about the good news of the gospel of Jesus and about what love can do to help us with this beautiful but troubled world. To find out more, log on to www.ucc.org slash index dot php. We wish you blessings for your life. Are you ready for the 12-minute Simone's Own Miracle? Transform any self-defeating internal images into spectacular masterpieces of happiness and success in only 12 minutes. The Simone Zone is a revolutionary empowerment technique that uses cutting-edge audio-visual technology. Get ready to shift negative energy and change it to positive energy now. Visit thesimonezone.com and try this free technique. That's thesimonezone.com. The University Congregational United Church of Christ, located at 4515 16th Avenue Northeast, right across from the Burke Museum, wants you to know that it is a liberal and inclusive congregation waiting to welcome you to worship, education, fellowship, and service. We need your help to say yes to God's purposes. For more information, log on to universityucc.org. That's universityucc.org. Or call 206-524-2322. That's 206-524-2322. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to discover what's preventing you or your business from obtaining your goals, dreams, and vision. The Inquiring Mind is your partner. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. as Stephanie Durham, professional life coach, presents ACES. Authenticity, choices, empowerment, and success. Spanning 25 years of successful business tenure, in addition to over four years of training with Caroline Mace at the CMED Institute, Stephanie's authenticity and vast knowledge helps you objectively explore wise choices with her finely attuned facilitator skills, leading you to personal empowerment and ultimate success. Do you know you have power to create what you want in your life and in business? You do. This message will self-absorb in five seconds. Call us toll-free at 1-866-461-6463. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. Coming to you on 1150 
a.m. Alternative Talk and streaming worldwide at interfaithtalkradio.com. We are a rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor with you every week on Mondays at 5 in the afternoon talking about issues that concern us as seekers of a spirituality that is inclusive and supportive of justice and of growth of all persons. We're talking today about the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. We're talking about the urges within us toward violence. We're talking about the possibilities of nonviolent responses to the crucial issues of our day. A few moments ago, uh, Brother Jamal brought up the issue briefly of Iraq. And sometimes when I think of a disenfranchised people, like particularly with civil rights issues or issues with any minority, what comes to mind is dis- disenfranchised, disempowered. You know, and the whole rights movement is finding ways to step into taking greater responsibility and being recognized. And whenever the issue of Iraq comes up, I am among those who feels disenfranchised. You mean you're powerless to do anything about that? It seemed to me that the country united in the last election to speak very clearly and say we are not interested in increasing the commitment to this war. In fact, we're interested in decreasing the commitment and in finding ways not to lose any more lives in the pursuit of something that can't be a kind of victory that just cannot be. And yet, watching a government respond, ignoring voices in Congress, ignoring what theoretically are the checks and balances in our governmental system, and essentially saying, I don't care what you guys say. You know, the, the, the quote that I think of uh, with regard to Martin Luther King that pertains to this particular moment, he said, I think this was in the mid-60s, this was about the war in Vietnam, he said, the world now demands a maturity of America that we may not be able to achieve. And that was a prophetic state. that was a person looking toward the future, and I think this was coming out of his despair about his uh, the way his voice uh, was heard on Vietnam. I mean, it was fine at one level for him to talk about human and civil rights for people of color and so forth. And even maybe okay to talk about economic justice. But when it came to the war, um, even people within his own staff uh, were not in agreement about whether or not it was a good thing to advance the cause to to bring that in and it was it became a big entanglement a big problem and um, but he he continued with that uh, he said I'm sick and tired of war I'm sick and tired of Vietnam I'm sick and tired of loss and so forth um, and yet it, it was difficult um, it wasn't clear to everyone that these things were related and so forth um, and when I hear those words and I think of what you were just saying about how we 
how do we, what do we do? We feel powerless. You know, the Congress seems to have the only ability Congress has right now is to limit funding for the war, and it's not clear that that's going to happen. And, and yet the country seems to be screaming for some kind of transformation, some kind of change, because the war has been such a disaster, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think, in a sense, uh, uh, Pastor Don, uh, in this society, as in many other societies, we're actually addicted to violence? I, th- I think we, yes, uh, we may be, although I think we're used to the idea that somehow violence can solve problems. That can even provide some, in a bizarre way, some kind of healing. And Violence it, gives us the sense that we're doing something. Yeah, yeah, we're. You know, when 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 we are wounded or when we're frightened, to respond violently, to respond with power, gives us the sense that we are taking control or yes. working toward mastery. But the truth is. In our own personal existences, as well as in our national existence, war does not lead to peace. It leads to control. It leads to stopping. I mean, somebody's going to win, and whoever wins is going to write the history books Mm -hmm. until enough time goes by and we start to get what's happened from each side. But, But killing does not lead to peace. Any more than hating leads to love. And the question is, how do we support in a broader way working toward peace peacefully? And refusing the simple answer to respond violently. And the truth is, there is no such thing as winning a war. Uh, We know that... People who even win a war or lose a war, uh, their psyches, their souls get so truncated, wounded, yeah. that they're really, they're lost, lost souls. I mean, uh, just look at, I mean, the statistics of the Vietnam War in America is, uh, is stunning that over 50,000 people died in Vietnam, yet twice as much committed suicide. Afterwards. Afterwards in this yeah. country. That is a stunning statistic. Right. When, uh, when people... Um, according to veterans uh, that I have heard speak, when people are trained to want to respond uh, to violence by killing people, uh, the password, the the phrase is, "A good soldier is a bad civilian." You cannot come back and suddenly be an ordinary person again, not without some kind of mm-hmm. some kind of I don't know what retraining or. Um, it's just not possible. And, and the people, the veterans who are coming back, who deserve yes. to be mm-hmm. honored for their mm-hmm. uh, willingness to mm-hmm. commit their lives to something, um, they're not the people who decided to go to war. Right. They're the people who are responding to mm-hmm. a call from people whose lives are not endangered by this act, um, the people at the highest levels of government. And so the, the pathos... Mm-hmm. Of that, to hear veterans talk and to realize, well, I mean, in Vietnam, too, after Vietnam, we did not welcome back our veterans and we're not welcoming them back now. Well, there are groups now who are trying more consciously to welcome and to work with veterans. Right. Uh, Ed Tick, who wrote uh, War and the Soul, 
uh, which and, and, yes, is mm -hmm. to be recommended right. to anyone who Amen. wants to read a book talking about what war does to the soul Absolutely. of the soldier. Andrew Himes, who voices in wartime, right. very important work. That we are recognizing more clearly, I think, than ever before what the consequences yes. of being that kind of warrior are mm -hmm. and the specific needs that men and women have who are returning from theaters of war. In order to train people to kill, one has to train people to dehumanize an enemy. Mm. Because the more human another is, the less possible it is to kill. Right. But in dehumanizing another, one can't avoid being dehumanized. You just, you just can't do that. It impacts, uh, it impacts us. It's a very serious problem, really. It's not a question of winning or losing a war. The ones who are returning from war, from the front lines of war... I mean, their skulls, uh, souls are scarred, mm -hmm. deeply scarred. And unless they are healed in the context of an authentic community and compassion and in an abiding way, uh, we'll be having damaged people walking around. And, and very quickly we forget them. Right. And I think that if Martin Luther King were alive today, this would be one of the issues he would be speaking about because he would understand that kind of brokenness. He was, you know, extremely... Uh, awake spiritually. Uh, he understood the need for oneness and community, uh, what he called the beloved community, I think. And um, uh, and I think would would say that that at heart we are not violent, but we easily resort to violence when we feel either personally or nationally threatened um, because we don't in some ways that's been our history we don't know any better and so drawing on Gandhi who drew on the Sermon on the Mount he uh, advocated nonviolent resistance as an alternative to to war that's a good question to consider maybe after the break about are we violent by nature yeah. or are we nonviolent by nature great we're about to take our break I'd like to remind you that Beit Aleph Meditative Synagogue, my group, is one of the sponsors of this radio program. Beit Aleph is an intentional spiritual community based on teachings, texts, and traditions of the Jewish path. And I'd like to invite people to join us this coming Friday night at 7.30 for meditative Shabbat worship. And a quick way to find out where and when we meet is by going to jewishspiritualcommunity.com on the internet because we thought it would be too difficult to try to tell people how to spell Beit Aleph. Mm -hmm. So jewishspiritualcommunity.com will get you there. We're going to take a break and come back and talk about violence and nonviolence. is an inclusive community for spiritual growth where all are valued where positive attitudes are developed where spiritual laws of life are taught 
where consciousness is cultivated, where self-awareness is enhanced, and where the bonds of fellowship are enriched. Join us for our Sunday celebrations on Bellevue's East Side. Visit our website at www.unityofbellevue.org. Turk Pipkin joins the Dr. Pat Show, introducing his new documentary, Nobelity, combining the insights of nine distinguished Nobel laureates. This documentary features conversations with these laureates and gives their insight into the world's most pressing problems and possible solutions. Powerfully motivating, Pipkin's journey across the world reveals how one person can change the world, and every person has the opportunity to do so. For more information, please visit nobelitythemovie.com or call 1-800-424-2593. The Empowerment Partnership. Empowering the lives of thousands of people around the world just like you. Their mission is to empower you with an understanding of what makes you and others tick and to teach you the tools and techniques that will unlock your hidden gifts. The Empowerment Partnership. Whatever you think you are, you're more than that. To learn more, call 1-800-800-MIND or go to www.nlp.com. Mention the Dr. Pat Show to receive a special discount. Are you ready to kick your life up a notch? Tired of just surviving? The award-winning Dr. Pat Show, Talk Radio to Thrive By, is your way to living the life you want without regrets, without limitations. This empowering, inspirational show with dynamic host Dr. Pat Basili will leave you shouting, yes, I can. Dr. Pat is a master career and belief coach, dynamic seminar leader, and creator of Crustbusting. Listen to the Dr. Pat Show on AM 1150 KKNW, Monday through Friday, 11 to noon, and worldwide on www.thedrpatshow.com. Following the herd is fine until they lead you off a cliff. Think for yourself. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And none of us are ready to jump off that cliff. But this is Alternative Talk Radio, and this is Interfaith Talk Radio. A rabbi, a Muslim minister, and a Christian pastor coming to you every Monday afternoon, inviting you to join us for dialogue as you um, feel appropriate. You can call us at 425-373-5527. Free tickets actually have been claimed. So those of you who are prompted to call now, the tickets are gone, but the conversation is available. So when we left, Brother Jamal was about to answer the question about violence and nonviolence. I forgot exactly what yeah, the, the question, question really was. Uh, it's a sort of a eternal question. Is, is, a, is a human being by nature violent or non-violent and my understanding and certainly from uh, my understanding of the Quran and other religions also is that by nature in essence uh, we are actually non-violent like the Quran says we are fitra uh, originally very good but the Quran also says that even though you are noble uh, God has out of an intelligent uh, divine design placed the slinking whisperer in your heart which means that uh, you have to do the work of inner transformation, of inner work, something that we talk about all the time. If we don't do that and just say that by nature we are nonviolent and will continue to be so, it is not true because those other 
uh, elements within us, the, the water and clay elements, as the Quran says, they can dominate. And well, look at a child growing up. It is somewhat natural for a child not to understand that his or her actions hurt another child. Mm -hmm. So very often, if a, if a child sees another child with a toy he or she wants, they'll grab the toy. And whether it's from their little brother or whether it's from their big sister or whether it's from a friend. And that kind of conflict seems really natural, mm -hmm. you know, because we start developing our separate identities. We develop our sense of self as opposed to other selves. First, when we develop our own sense of self, we don't really understand that other selves are just as selfness mm -hmm. as we you know, because we are the center. Right. Mm -hmm. And so ev everything mm -hmm. we want. Yes. And that's where it comes in the work of actually making those choices. Uh, like the Quran says, there are three stages. So in this case, uh, Brother Don, you talked about beloved community. Uh, whether it's family or friends, that beloved community is so critical to creating the, uh, the environment for this work of inner transformation. You know, I've, I've seen three films in the last two weeks, actually, that answer the question in the same way you did, the question of are we naturally violent or nonviolent. Um, one is called, uh, it's a French film called Joya Noel, or Merry Christmas. It's about World War I when troops uh, in trenches maybe 40 or 50 feet apart on Christmas Eve, one side, the German side, I think, started singing Silent Night and and a bagpipe on the other side chimed in, and they they ended up coming out of the trenches, um, just getting to know each other, and and I think you know the the and it's a true story, and the film demonstrates uh, how um, that's what we would like to do. We would like to be reconciled. We don't want to be violent, but the people who did that were punished. Uh, according to the film, anyway. Uh, another film is called Earth. It's by the uh, Indian director-writer Deepa Mehta. It's part of the trilogy Earth, Fire, and Water. It's about the partition of India and Pakistan, how Hindus and Muslims who had been very close friends were separated by the, the conflict. The third is called The Ground Truth. It's a documentary about the war in Iraq. And uh, veterans talking about how they their experience of being trained to want to kill people and how difficult it is to come back to ordinary life and reshape themselves into something that isn't that but something else and not particularly feel honored really feeling shunned by the culture as a whole for having done something that they thought was responding to their duty as american citizens and so forth so i i i and i think that all three of these films, in one way or another, answer the question, we are not naturally violent, but as Ted said, it's easy to become violent to protect our centeredness because it's sacred to us, and we have to develop something beyond that. Yeah, I think we are naturally nonviolent when we are aware, mm -hmm. and when we go unconscious, I think we're naturally violent. I think we forget ourselves and we become reactive. Mm -hmm. And we see that with road rage. We see that with people who ordinarily wouldn't, you wouldn't be called a right. particularly violent person. Mm -hmm. But in an instant can be moved to acts mm -hmm. of expressing violence out of 
rage. Mm -hmm. We see that in relationships mm -hmm. where largely from a place of powerlessness or from a place of frustration, people lash out at each other um, or at themselves. Mm -hmm. I, it's hard for me not to see that as natural mm -hmm. as well. But, but I think, Brother Ted, it also shows that this work of inner transformation is a day-to-day -day abiding work. This work of cultivating compassion, awareness, it, it's a continuous work. We can't stop, stop uh, doing that work. Uh, and so, I think it's very important as we talk about Iraq or other areas of violence uh, or domestic violence, in our own lives... In our own particular relationship with ourselves, with family, with friends, are we uh, actualizing, perpetrating acts of violence, even in our violent thoughts, for example? Mm -hmm. How wonderful to start with that, because that is so difficult and so essential that if it doesn't manifest into uh, acts of violence, no matter how little or big, uh, it, it can start with that thought of violence and the feelings around that. And if I'm not aware, like you were saying, Brother Ted, if I'm not aware of it, that very soon germinates and grows. Little well, acorns so, going to oak trees. Right, so one has to be very available to hear feedback from others around us yes. who might sense the violence of thought or the violence of feeling when even we are unaware that we are experiencing or communicating. And we must feelings. be willing to do the work. So, and so, that already requires... A kind of self-awareness and a, and a kind of consciousness that had we had we that consciousness, we would be far less likely mm -hmm. to exhibit that behavior. So the enduring question for me mm -hmm. is how, when we are unconscious, when we are reactive, how do we regain our consciousness most quickly? Mm-hmm. Beloved community is one. Uh, practice is another. I don't know you were saying something. No, like I think that's right. I, I'm, I, I agree with what Ted said, and I'm interested in, you know, um, I had said I think we're naturally nonviolent. I think what I'm hearing both of you say is that we're naturally nonviolent when we're awake, when we're conscious, but we can be naturally violent if we're numb or not paying attention or particularly egocentric, which is normal. I mean, to right. be human. The more exclusive my awareness in any moment, right. the more prone I will be to violent behavior. The more inclusive my awareness, the less likely I will be uh, prone to violent behavior, whether that behavior is of word, of thought, or of deed. Right. So for that reason, uh, the environment I live in is one very important factor. Am I living in a culture of violence? Right. Where it is glorified. So well, you are. Well, yeah. then I have to be particularly aware then. And, and uh, Jamal, you used the phrase inner work, I think. Um, and I hear that as a partial response to the questions Ted asking, the question that Ted is asking about how do we stay awake, in other words? How do we remain at a place or how do we get back to a place where we can remember and and put into practice things that get us away from mm -hmm. violence and put us in a 
a nonviolent place. I mean, I think that one of the answers to that is the the regular experience of some kind of Sabbath. That is, uh, the uh, a moment to reflect, to stop doing, to be, to take stock, to think about hope, to give thanks for blessings and so forth. Um, another, though, is to experience uh, practices uh, that recall uh, the substance of a Sabbath, but also um, can, in a, uh, perhaps in time, a, a shorter period of time, help to recover. Yeah. Uh, the that connection kind of to self, to the real self. Yeah, and to God. Yes. Yeah, the, the yes. Get us back to that. Um, spiritual practices mm -hmm. are, in some ways, for the purpose of waking us up once again to our connection to God. And it's always like the practice becomes a ritual. And sometimes the ritual itself can be done without consciousness. Mm -hmm. So I can be repeating words that were I to be listening to them, they would help me be drawn into a consciousness of inclusivity. That's why community is critical. But But sometimes even community mm -hmm. can be reciting those words by rote mm -hmm. and then go out and kill people <laughs> and then go out and hate people and then go out and fight. And let's talk about what they, after that, what all the religions say, authentic community, not just a community, but an authentic community in your own life. Beloved community. Right. Yeah. It was Martin Luther King Jr. who said the aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. While the aftermath of violence is tragic bitterness. This is Interfaith Talk Radio on 11.50 a.m. And we'll be right back. everyone, listen up. Dr. Pat brings you her favorite organic wines from the Organic Wine Company, direct to you for this limited time special offer. Would you like to enjoy the luscious taste of natural grapes grown with love for the land and tantalizing your taste buds at the same time? Well, Dr. Pat has selected three of her favorite wines for only $49, a 40% savings. Visit www.thedrpatshow.com and click on Dr. Pat's Picks for this special offer. Or you can call 1-888-326-9463. Hey, Julie, where have you been? Benny, I just returned from a fabulous seminar with Karen Ramsey, learning about how my relationship to money is holding me back from living the life I want. Well, I can't seem to save enough money to contribute to an IRA these days, but I think, you know, it's just too late to start now. Well, Benny, I see that you just bought yourself a latte this morning. And how many times a day do you do that? Uh, well, I'd say like two or three times a day, but I mean, seriously, what's your point, Julie? If you save the money you spend on just one latte a day, you'd easily be able to contribute $1,400 a year to your IRA. No kidding. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. Well, Karen Ramsey says it's never too late to start no matter where you are. And the sooner you start, the better. Well, you know, that's fine with people with money, but how can someone like me afford financial advice from someone like Karen Ramsey? Well, you don't need to be wealthy to get excellent financial advice. In fact, why not tune into her new show beginning October 12th and learn about the myths about money that keep us from living the lives we're meant to live? And visit her on the web at caringmoney.com. That's K 
CaringMoney.com. How healthy is your beauty salon? Mode Organic Salon is Seattle's premier organic beauty salon. Our trained professionals specialize in providing organic and natural hair, skin, nail, and cosmetic services customized to your specific attributes and lifestyle. Visit ModeOrganic.com or call 206-623-0195 to schedule. Mention the Dr. Pat Show and get 15% off your first service. For beauty that's more than skin deep, visit Mode Organic Salon. More choices, more topics, more shows. One station. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Interfaith Talk Radio. This is our final segment for this Monday afternoon. You can find us every Monday afternoon at 5 o'clock here on 1150 AM. Alternative Talk Radio. And on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day, we are talking about the legacy of that man, and we're talking about violence and nonviolence. Well, I think that, that for me, that one of the questions has to do with his Martin Luther King's life and how he maintained himself uh, in the face of uh, profound discouragement. Um, uh, arguments within his own organization about where things should be going and so forth and um, we don't I don't know what his spiritual life was in any detail but I know he was uh, he had a very uh, developed spirituality uh, that that inspired him uh, in public speech I mean the I had a dream speech I know was a speech where he had prepared a text and at, at one point, he departed from it and took off. And that's the part we remember. Um, right. And how do you do that? You know, I mean, is that just luck? No. It's, it's something, uh, it comes with practice. And I, th I think M Martin Luther King Jr. was an inspired speaker. I think he was able to hook into that place where something greater than himself flowed through. Through it, yeah. And because it was something greater than himself, it communicated in a very deep way to a very hungry audience. But in his personal life, he was a person. And so, and just like Gandhi, mm -hmm. who in public life was a... a clear and inspired and profoundly focused human being, leader of multitudes, and in his personal life had his own failings. Right. Now, a lot of people look at that and go, well, that proves that he wasn't a person of integrity. But those of us who, in fact, taste that kind of inspiration mm -hmm. and that kind of public persona know the difficulty mm -hmm. when that energy is not present and we're, we're just bumbling and stumbling along as ordinary human beings trying to live our lives and trying to remain awake and trying to remain aware and needing what is often such an impossibility and that is needing the kind of authentic spiritual community that you were talking to, Brother Jamal, that somehow is conscious enough to accept even the failings and the shortcomings of the leadership. I think it just shows that we are 
truly human beings. But to go back to the question of, about inspiration, surely, uh, from my study and, and, and awareness, limited as it is, that Dr. King and Gandhi, they daily, daily uh, undertook spiritual practices to reduce the separation from spirit. And it, is, it was spirit that really uh, inspired them, guided them. Uh, about the fact of failings, even prophets, Prophet Muhammad, uh, Prophet Abraham, uh, had failings. They were human beings also. And so we cannot say we throw everything out just because they had in one area a human failing. This is why we are here, to become more and more perfected human beings. But let us remember the, uh, the great joys and successes they've had in inspiring us and them being a model for us to follow. Right. So, like you were saying, uh, Gandhi, it's not very uh, well known that although he was father to millions, hundreds of millions of uh, children, you might say, in India, his own children got very scant attention from the father. And so they suffered. And they died very uh, uh, sad deaths. Mm. Always craving more attention uh, from this great leader and great, fa great person, Gandhi, who really was a very genuine human being. I think it's almost impossible to be a great public figure and a great private figure simultaneously. I mean, by private, I mean father, husband, spouse, child, whatever. On the one hand, and to be the um, the public figure who tries to speak truth and so forth and is admired and inspire and people uh, who is able to inspire people it's just it's just hard and that's the balance mm -hmm, that right. um, mm -hmm. uh, King did not have that in his life much of the time as I read about him uh, which is tragic because of the the good that he inspired people to do. Um, and will continue. I mean, his spirit lives on. Thank goodness we have this day that, um, on the one hand, kind of domesticates him and uh, isolates uh, his work to a particular day or season of the year. But on the other hand, as we said earlier, it does prompt us on a regular basis to ask, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. If we believe in nonviolence, if we believe in the end of racism, and if we believe in the end of economic injustice, if we believe in those things, if, they, if we believe they're important, what are we doing to further that cause? And I think one answer for me is the interfaith work that we're doing because I think, again, if Dr. King were alive, he'd be involved in... He was, he was involved then uh, in interfaith work with people like Rabbi Heschel. And let us also very much cherish and work on this quality you mentioned, Brother Don, this divine quality of really developing balance a very uh, precious balance uh, in our lives. It's remarkable that listening to the replaying of some of Dr. King's speeches today, they could he could be speaking today. His vision of a kind of justice between people has still not been realized. We are still a racist culture. We are still a racist society. We have so far to go. Even though we've come a long way, it is so easy for us to turn a blind eye to those 
who are the dis disenfranchised or the disempowered in our midst and seek our own comforts. And he was one who said, the focus of your life has to be on service. No matter how much education, you don't need mm -hmm. a degree to find a way of being of service to mm -hmm. those around you. And I would say he was of authentic service, something we, talk, we have talked about in this radio show many times. Uh, the Quran says, you know, in 80 verses, please give to the poor to the needy, to the marginalized. But the real service also comes, and actually really comes, when you free a slave from bondage, literally and metaphorically, mm -hmm. to bring about a systemic structural change. And Dr. King had the courage and the grace and the vision uh, to speak his truth and act on his truth. And that to me is his greatness. It is. So our task is to grow ourselves in awareness to where we can appreciate all other human beings, no matter what their color, no matter what their race, no matter what their creed, no matter what their nationality, to experience all others as our brothers and our sisters. And even though they might spout rhetoric which is opposed to us or threatens us, to refuse to fall into the trap of demonizing them and ignoring the essential humanity that they possess and finding ways of bringing into a deeper conversation and dialogue those with whom it's most difficult to speak. And also really today being a day uh, a day, like you were saying, by the dawn of reflection, of Shabbat, of really going over what Dr. King inspires in us that we can do and really, truly spend time deeply reflecting on that. I, I think that, you know, I want to ask myself the question, what inspires me or what moves me? What is it inside me that connects to something else that either moves me to tears or makes me realize or helps me to wake up to something important and makes me feel that that is worthwhile, that's fulfilling, that's something I should be doing. And what is it about the I Had a Dream speech, for example, that connects to uh, the where I'm imprisoned, for example? I mean, I don't compare that to the physical imprisonment of the African slaves, but um, there is, I think that King's message was uh, had a universal aspect to it in the sense that Every person um, is a prisoner of some kind at some point, and we all want to be released from that. We want to be. We want a, a, a community where where the is marked by liberation rather than by imprisonment. I suppose that's a task to which all of us, in some way or another, would like to dedicate our lives to leave the world a little bit of a better place because we were here, and we know that the way to that is to open our own awareness to be as inclusive as possible. I want to note that this is the conclusion of our 26th uh, show, our 26th Interfaith Talk Radio episode. We've been on the air six months. Nobody has kicked us off yet. <laughs> And just to express my appreciation to you, Pastor Don, and Brother Jamal, 
for entering into a kind of dialogue space where it's not always important that we agree with each other on everything, but where we can have the incredible blessing of experiencing a supportive environment in which we can celebrate the essential spiritual teachings that flows from each of our traditions. And our gratitude to you, Brother Ted, Amen. not only being a participant, but moderating it, the hard work of the this twin work. job. For all of you listening, we appreciate that you are keeping us company through this. We share with you the blessings of this day. And we look forward to experiencing with you many Mondays of meaning. Next Monday, we'll be welcoming Ari Cowan back to the show to continue a discussion of violence and nonviolence as one of the really most crucial issues of our day. This is Rabbi Ted Falcon. I'm Brother Jamal Rahman. I'm Pastor Don McKenzie. For Interfaith Talk Radio, blessings and good night.